It's Crypto Millie. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Yes, everything all in one place. And I'll allow SSJ to break it down and explain what I'm talking about. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. Welcome back to another episode of Legacy Kings, brought to you by Crypto Millie and SSJ. Where rich is temporary and legacy is forever, y'all. And on today's episode, we have a very, very special guest. And and before we get started, I want to say thank you for even coming on to Legacy Kings because he is a number one bestseller author. Graduated from Harvard. <laughs> come on, come on. But Harris Woods. Uh, and uh, if you would like to go ahead and introduce yourself, I mean, we know about you, but you know, just to introduce, you know, yourself to the to the viewer. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me on. Um, as you mentioned, I released my debut book. Um, this past fall, The Black Girl's Guide to Financial Freedom. And it has received an overwhelmingly positive response. I'm so blown away um, by how excited folks have been by the book and how many folks have bought a copy for themselves and their friends and all the Black women that they know, um, which was my intention. I really want to get this information, particularly into hands of people who look like myself. Um, which I feel, you know, like Black women are underrepresented when it comes to conversations about financial freedom. So I'm super excited to be here and super excited that y'all um, invited me. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, like, I'm just so thankful for you even being here, but let's jump into it. And I just want to know, like, because I know you, um, were, were you born in um, St. Louis or? That's right. Okay, so you were born and raised? Yeah. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about your background as far as like growing up in St. Louis? Because I heard like it's kind of like rough out there, or it's. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just asking for the people and for myself as well, too. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've lived in a number of cities at this point. I can say, you know, most um, large cities have some places that, you know, where all the wealthy folks live and some places where folks who don't have the resources live. And St. Louis is no exception to that. Um, and when I was growing up in St. Louis, the north side of the city is where folks who don't have resources live and that's where I grew up. So okay. I could very much relate to sort of being on the side of town where people don't necessarily go. Um, and my mom, you know, sent us to schools outside of our neighborhood. So I actually got to see what it was like in other people's communities, get to go to schools that may have had more resources. Um, mm-hmm. Also more discrimination. So we also, you know, it's like some trade-offs. And I talk yeah. about that in the book as well, how my mom had to show up and advocate for us to actually get access to the resources and get equal treatment in those schools. But at the very least, it gave me sort of exposure to what was possible and helped me realize that, you know, not only were we not in a good situation, but there must be some way to get out. And so it sort of gave me this motivation uh, to figure out how to turn our circumstances um, and get myself out of poverty, but also think about, you know, how do we come back and help the community get out of that situation? Okay, so that's where you got your fighting spirit from from your mother, just to keep continuing to fight, especially fight for our people. So, yeah. I like that. I definitely like that. And I did see that your mom was like, big, like, like you said, big on education. And um, I've seen that you were you know, really big on education as well. So is that something that comes from your mom as far as, you know, you being so big on education? I think so. It was definitely a huge value in our family. Um, and I think, you know, initially it was just my own exit ticket, like do well in school, get a good job and you know, be build financial stability for yourself. 
Um, and along the way, I sort of realized that education was a really powerful tool and that I wanted to help other folks gain access mm -hmm. to the opportunities that I had. Um, and so it sort of transformed into this career in education. So not just getting an education for myself, but how do I sort of become an educator and how do I expand opportunities so that I'm not walking the path alone, but hopefully I'm sort of paving a path that'll be easier for other people to follow. So yeah, so I've spent my entire career in education as a result. That's amazing. So like leading into like, like from, from going to like the outskirts and being um, exposed to different environments and things in that nature, like how, like how were you able to like, to keep your grades and everything like that? And what type of GPA did you have to have in order to go to Harvard? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so I, I mean, I always been pretty good at school. I will say <laughs> it was one of my skills that, you know, and in addition to being good at school, I also was definitely not the cool kid in school. So I was able to spend a lot of my energy focused on um, academics. And, you know, to get into a school like Harvard, you have to be good academically, but you also have to have some other strengths and leadership and things like that. So I was very involved. I loved the high school that I went to. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, captain of the sports teams and winning lots of awards and just like really, um, you know, really shining. And I think shining in my strengths in a lot of different areas there. And so, still shining. You know, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope kids, you know, I think when I thought I wanted to go to Harvard, I had read about it in a magazine. It felt mm -hmm. like a not, it just wasn't a real place. Like I had never met anyone who had gone. But I hope if any young people or parents are watching this and can sort of take my word that Harvard exists, they're real regular people from the poor side of town, do get in and go every day. I hope folks will consider applying. And I went for free. Like Harvard has a ton of money for financial aid. So okay. I was blessed not to have to take out any student loans and have them fully cover the cost, um, which is a huge part, I think, of my financial future is not having that sort of dragging me down. Um, yeah. So after, so after coming, like, so basically going to Harvard, right? like being super excited to get to Harvard. So after you graduated from Harvard, right? How long did it took or how, or how long did it take you per se to figure like, well, the college degree was great and amazing, but as far as coming down to the financial side with the, you say you didn't have student loan debt. So with people that do have student loan debt and everything like that, like how was it like, like so how, what, what made you come into being like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be an entrepreneur. Like what made you go down like that path? Yeah, it was definitely a journey. Um, and I left, so when I went to college, I didn't have to take out student loans, but we did buy all of my school supplies with credit cards. And so I had debt, it just wasn't student loans. I had credit card debt coming out of college. And then a year later, I went back to graduate school and took out the entire tuition and loans. So okay. you know, still by my late 20s, I had student loans from graduate school and I had bought a new car and I was just feeling so fancy, you know. And mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until really I hit 30, I think something about 30 makes you start to wake up and want to grow up and, you know, do, do a self-assessment of your life. But yeah. that's when I really, you know, paused and thought about all this debt that I had been accumulating. And even though we live in a society where debt is considered normal, and no one would have said I was doing anything wrong. I sort of felt like I wasn't where I wanted to be financially and that I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the choices that I wanted to have. And here I was, I did everything right, right? Like I went to I went to Harvard of all places twice. Yeah. I did Top. two degrees, you know what I mean? And was mm -hmm. doing simple jobs. And at the same time, I felt like my financial life didn't reflect um, sort of the accomplishments that I had otherwise. And so I think that's what really got me thinking about how to do something different with my finances and seeking out resources to help me make different choices from the ones that I have been making. So the, it sounds to me that, hey, wink, wink, you started to think and do for self as we preach on Legacy Kings, because that's what it's about is thinking and doing for yourself to be able to get to the next level. Because when you're going through college and everything like that, 
did you realize like the accumulative debt that was just piling on top on top on top of you like or it's just like when you just going through that phase it's like okay let me go through this let me get my college degree and we gonna be set right after that i'm gonna get my car i'm gonna get my house i got my bank account i got everything and <laughs> like that's how like most people like look at college aspect you know what i'm saying because especially like like harvard yale duke stanford like like causes like that's like a big name purdue like things like that like that's huge so yeah yeah, I think that's right. And you all, I feel like at the time I was just thinking, can I make the payments? And even okay. when I bought the car, you know, you're sitting in there and the guy's like, how much do you want to pay a month? And I'm not even thinking about the total amount of debt, what this is going to do, um, sort of like mortgaging my future for this thing that I want in the present. I'm just like, can I make the payments? And mm -hmm. I think that's a big mistake that young folks, that all kind of folks of any age make. Um, not thinking about the total debt, just thinking it's normal. As long as I make my payments, I'm good financially and not realizing that those payments could be going towards like future growth and future earnings and investments for your future. Um, instead of just being so focused on having cool stuff in the present. Right. Yeah. I think that's where our society is. Our society, you know, we always think about today rather than tomorrow. So that's why, like you said, when we get 25, 30, a lot of those decisions that we made, you know, 18, 19, 20 affect us in our late 20s and early 30s. Because like you said, I'm going through that stuff now. Like my wake-up calls when I had my daughter at 25. So that's what kind of made me, you know, snap into place. And But now it's more like you said, I'm paying the price for stuff that I, you know, did early on in my adulthood that, you know, financially that affected me now. So I think that's just where the society is, though. And it's very unfortunate. But that was also something that I did like from the book where, you know, like you say, you talked about going to college for free. And you also talked about, you know, buying a used car rather than going into debt on buying a brand new car. And that's something that we talk about on here as well. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they go get the brand new car, but then they pay six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. And then they say, well, I don't have money to invest or, you know, do other things that they want to do for their financial you know, portfolio just to the fact of how many, you know, car uh, notes that they have or, you know, a mortgage payment and things of that nature. And don't forget about subscriptions. We talking Netflix. We talking the hood. <laughs> we, we talking all of them, y'all. So, yeah, because that adds up, too. So you take that 12, you times that by 12. Hey, come on. Like, that. All everything adds up. So we got to be more strategic upon our, fi our financial literacy and where is our money flow is going to so instead of having go like go out i'd rather be broke going to a whole bunch of investment be like man look i ain't got nobody my stuff tied up in equity that's what i want that's where the real power is at is equity y'all so we just want to give y'all as much volume and game as possible equity y'all equity 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 that's right yeah. think about jay people always talk about jay Z as sort of how his look has transitioned <laughs> over the years <laughs> Like, as a billionaire, you know, who cares what I look like? <laughs> hey, you know what's so crazy? He said, he said, no billionaire is ugly. Like, hey. Like, but it's he said, true. No also, you know, it's like, you, especially if you grew up in poverty like I did, and you go to college, you're the one person. I'm the one person in my family with a college degree. So people do expect you to look a certain way and to have certain things. And you expect that of yourself. you like, I've worked so hard. You know, I should mm -hmm. look so and I don't want to feel broke when, you know, I did all these things to escape poverty. So I do think it's a balance. And I try to sort of do, I mean, even with my budget, I'll put half for tomorrow, but the other half, I'm going to spend it on whatever I want today. And even if some of that is, you know, falls under the category of conspicuous consumption, you know, I do have braids. I do have my eyelashes on and my nails and all this, right? So it's like, popping. you know, I'm trying. <laughs> But, you know, it's not sacrificing the future, but you can also have some nice things now. It's just deciding up front what you want your money to do and setting a plan so that, you know, at the end of the day, all the money hasn't disappeared and you're not wondering where it went. You were intentional about it from the beginning, you know. Be because it's so crazy because the elites think five, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And while us as the urban community, 
we're thinking about, man, let's just get through the day. Like, I ain't worried about no, uh, hey, miss me with that. I'm focused right here because it's it's so much of a struggle because, hey, we pair ourselves in that bondage and everything like that. We want to go get um, new cars. We want to go get new clothes, shoes, uh, nice things for the uh, home, furniture and things like that. And knowing that we don't have that capital, knowing that we don't have the funds to be able to go fund that. So we have to, it, somewhere down the line, it's, it, it has to come down to a stop. But how how does that come to, um, how can we solve that issue to a certain degree? How can we come to some, come to grips with that? Yeah, I think that, so part of it is if you have money and there are plenty of black folks in this country who have plenty of money, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like not all broke, um, making some decisions up front not at the end of the month, but at the beginning of the month about how much you want to save, about how much you want to invest and put that money away first and then feel free to spend the rest of it, right? So if you have money, it's about planning. If you don't have money, it's about getting money. Like <laughs> it's hard to be broke and then trying to talk about investing and trying to sacrifice. That's a lot. And I feel like poverty is a huge emotional toll like, I just remember how stressed my mother was, you know, trying to figure out how to make the bills work. Um, and I work with students who come from these impoverished communities and so have just have had a lot of exposure to the level of stress. And I think that is real. So before we can talk about saving and sacrificing, we need to talk about how to get access to more money. I think accessing yeah. is an important first step for a lot of folks in our community. Yes, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's definitely it's very true. <clears throat> I would say that's very true, man. Like a lot of people, you know, they thinking about how they're going to put food on the table today rather than, you know, buying some Apple or Microsoft or, you know, ETF or something like that. So, you know, that most definitely is true. But I want to rewind it back for a little bit. So you say you're the only one in your family with a college degree. So how is it, you know, going back home to say like a St. Louis or being around family and friends, like, I'm, I'm not sure you know about your family and friends for your financial situations, but you know, is there any type of expectations from you? Is like you know when you go home and see people and they like, well, you know, you went to Harvard and you you know have a book, you know this and that. Like, how do you you know balance that? Uh, I think what has been helpful for me, um, not just now, but probably for the past several decades, is having really strong friends around me who are have similar goals, similar sort of trajectory in life. Um, and so those are the folks who I can go to as my peers to actually talk about like dollars and cents, talk about what's going on, talk about career. Uh, so it's good to have that community of people around you who can understand. Um, so I think that was probably the toughest transition. Even going to college and coming home over breaks was a culture shock, just to be in these two very different environments. And, you know, the farther you get away, you know, from your family education wise, I mean, it is a huge sacrifice. And this is something, you know, I had to remind my colleagues working in education about what we're asking kids to do when we ask them to be the first in their family to go to college. It's a huge celebration, but it also is a sacrifice because you're accumulating experiences that the people in your family won't be able to relate to. And that is a real, very real psychological burden that you have to carry. So I think for me, it was important to have friends around me who could relate and who I could talk to. Um, and then, you know, with my family, it's like they know me and they're so excited to support me. I think for them, they're just the kind of folks who are like, we want you to succeed. We're not going to bring you any problems. We're not going to even tell you what's going on. So it was me trying to like get information. <laughs> and even though I'm gone, even though I'm away at college or doing all this other stuff, I still want to know what's going on. You don't have to like be overly protective of me, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that has been my experience. And I've heard other people say that as well. Like when you're one, um, it's not really a crabs in a barrel mentality. It's your community really supporting you and they want you to be the one who succeeds. And that was the experience that I have. So I've gotten so much love and support. Um, even today, like my family, my sister um, is my biggest supporter. My parents have passed hey, away. She shout out, sis. Yeah, she like shouts shouts out anything that I do. Um, so I'm so grateful for my family support all the time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I can say the same thing about my family as well. I mean, I've had a 
good upbringing, good family background as well. So it definitely does help. So when you come on to this financial um, sector, this financial literacy journey, like how do you surround yourself with people that may, cause, cause you know, you have like a perception cause perception is everything, right? So how do you like weave through like the people that actually have like success to compare it to the people that's just basically faking the funk? <laughs> I'm just keeping it real now, being real. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I'm definitely a nerd. As you can tell, I have a million books. I probably have read, you know, some of the best and the worst. And for me, it's about what has actually worked personally in my life. So I've tried a lot of stuff. Um, When I was putting together this book, I had to think about, you know, what were the most important lessons that actually made a difference for me? What tools actually work for me? What strategies actually worked for me? because there is so much noise and people, a lot of people are trying to get attention and they're trying to talk about the coolest thing. And so it's hard to, you know, discern what is true, what actually works. And so that's what I was hoping to sort of cut through some of the noise and get down to the basics of how to have a strong financial foundation. So a lot of it I learned the hard way. (laughs) Hey, but they lessons though, they lessons, lessons. Yeah, but as we learn, we grow, and then you got to take those lessons and pass it, you know, pay it forward um, to the people who are looking at you and watching you and trying to learn from you. Absolutely. So, what was your procedures and steps on, um, like, creating your book? Like, 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 how how was the process? Yes. So, I really hope anyone who wants to write a book does it. <laughs> and um, I sort of. I did a lot of research on self-publishing, sort of how you create an outline and all of that. Um, What does the structure of a chapter need to look like? And the very basic sort of process you go through is you create your outline, everything you wanna be in the book, and then you just have to sit and write continuously. So no editing, don't overthink it, just get the book written. That's the hardest first step. Um, And then you have months and months to edit, right? So I got the first draft written Um, in about two months, like eight weeks of me just sitting down every day and just writing and not editing, not even doing spell check, nothing. Like you actually just have to sit down and write the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you edit it later and you get people to read it and you get all this feedback and you can add stuff and and delete stuff. Um, But it really just took that commitment to putting the words on the paper to get it done. Okay. I I just love your commitment. And I know other people that's out here that's listening to you right now that would be more inspired uh, by your story, especially um, with you helping out the community as well too. So that's right there in its own right, it's powerful. And we all powerful on the stage, me, you, SSJ, and we just one of many voices that's out here that's pushing um, to, to pushing for the culture to be able to just do better. That's it. I ain't, I ain't gonna woo you with words and stuff, but I'm gonna let you know, we just need to do better as a community and this is why we are here for and just going more deeper into the um going deeper into the book what like 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 what at first was you thinking about ebooks or you were just like okay let me just jump straight to amazon like how like how did that how did that work in terms of the publishing yeah yeah yes ma'am um amazon i think is probably the like most uh, friendly platform for self-published books because okay. you upload, you just upload your book and they do all the printing and shipping and everything for you. They do the ebook for you. They do the um, paperback. I did have to go to the studio and record the audio, <laughs> Okay. but then they take care of that. Right. So there are not a lot of barriers. You know, you used to think you had to get a book deal in order to publish a book, but Amazon makes it really easy. Um, I did decide to do both Amazon and then go through sort of a traditional um, distributor um, called Ingram Spark. So for folks who are like, I want my book in bookstores, or I want my book in the library, all of these retailers order books through Ingram. And so as a, a self-published author, you can also upload your manuscript through Ingram Spark, which is the one uh, that's for self-published folks, and they'll distribute it for you. Um, you just don't make as much money. It's sort of a whole lot of other marketing you got to do to get independent bookstores to buy your book from them and all of this. So Amazon mm-hmm. is definitely the easiest way. 
Um, I just had this vision that folks would want to have it um, in libraries and sort of have it be more accessible. So that's the only reason I did both. Mm, yeah. You said a key word. Go ahead, SSJ. But no, I just think, I mean, I believe, I mean, I have a little book, but I think Amazon was a good decision as well, too, because that's like the largest, if I'm not mistaken, bookseller on the internet is uh, Amazon. So some people hate yeah. Amazon, okay, but for books, yeah. if you're a self published author, you kind of, they're, they're helpful. So I, I have, yeah. have and you're doing pretty good Amazon. I wrote it down here. So you're the number one bestseller in college, university, financial aid, uh, number two, job markets and advice, um, number six, financial risk management, and number seven, mutual funds investing. So that's, you know, pretty uh, impressive, you know, to be, what, four different top 10 categories on, you know, all across Amazon as far as books. Oh, that's a pretty big deal. Thank you. Yeah, I've been just blown away uh, with the response of the book. I think my authenticity really comes through. Um, and the truth, I tell the truth about all the mistakes that I made and how to fix it so that folks who make it to 30 and have messed up, we, I tell you exactly how to turn it around. But also for younger people yeah. or, you know, like the things I wish I had known back then. This is a book I wish I had, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, making all these early decisions. So. So, I don't understand. so basically what we're saying is this right here for the single family mothers that that are out there what you need to go do right now stop pause everything stop pause this video right now pause it go to amazon go get that book like right now right now like like right now like, I'm, I'm being funny but i ain't being funny but go get that like right now because that's going that's the first initial step to be able to get to where you need to go and like we i really needed to say that and push that out to the people but like yeah. i said you said a key word you said vision so vision what 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 made you or how did you get the vision and because you know how like when you had a vision and then you tell other people your uh like what you want to do or what you're going to do and then they try to try to break down the vision and be like oh well girl you know i ain't uh, uh -uh. I, I thought we was two different people. So I, I just wanted I, I just want to hear that from you. Oh man. Well, so the book did come um out of uh, an assignment that I was given. I was participating in um a syndicate program. So for educators who want to become philanthropists and we were sort of coming up with our investment philosophy. And one of the assignments was to create a 20-year vision for your life. Uh, which I found really challenging. I really had to sit down and think about that and take it seriously. And, you know, this idea of financial freedom is something that's really important to me and that people have heard me talk about. I'm always talking about it. And so I knew I wanted both myself, you know, to have experienced financial freedom, but also how did I pass this knowledge on to folks who came after me, this sort of next generation. So I wrote that in my 20 year vision for myself, that I was financially free and that I had inspired a generation of folks to do the same thing. And I was like, well, how did I do that? And so one of the things I wrote was that I had written this best-selling book, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have a strong belief that once you have clarity of vision, you have to take action immediately, even if it's the tiniest action. And so I had to write the book. <laughs> so my very hey, next step, you know, was like, let me research how to write a book. And so that is how I even started, you know, creating the book. So that vision process, you're right, it was really important for me. And it was sort of what even lit the match to getting this book produced. Okay, so you went to, when you, like, let me make sure I'm right. You went to Google, right? And you, yeah. you typed in and you searched it, right? It, it, it wasn't difficult, was it? It wasn't hard? Like, you, you didn't break a so thumb or a finger or nothing, right? There were so okay. many resources, and I found, I really liked uh, self-publishing school for folks who are like, what resources did you like? Um, mm -hmm. Self-publishing school was really helpful in the whole process, Not, you know, from right, thinking about the book, brainstorming the book, outlining the book, they have outlined templates, all this is free and how to write it, how to launch it, how to get your launch team together, how to upload it on Amazon. Just every, it, just a ton of resources. Um, and Chandler Bolt, who runs it, it's like this really funny, like outgoing guy. So it's mm -hmm. fun to watch the videos and to learn. Um, yeah. But yeah, I got the templates and then it was just a matter of actually sitting down and doing it. Okay. 
So, do you think you'll write another book since you know you're having so much success with this book? I might. People want another one. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I get the inspiration, or if y'all have suggestions on what this next book should be, <laughs> um, now that I know how to do it, I know it can be done. So I don't see any reason not to. Yeah, I think the book it actually reminded me of um not just saying that because you're on here, but it actually reminded me about Rich Dad Poor Dad due to the fact of it makes it simple to someone who's never, you know, heard of an index fund or it's like more of a mindset shift, you know, like you said, going to college for free, buying a used car, um, you know, having freedom, you're talking about early retirement, things of that nature that you don't hear in everyday, you know, society, you talk about in that book similar to uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. So it was like, when I was reading it, it kind of felt like our version, like, a, you know, a black person, you know, created a something similar to my original. I kind of liked it. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that book, that was one of the first financial books that I read um, in high school. So I hope the high schoolers pick this up and I hope it actually is helpful. That's crazy. You said high school. I ain't picked that book up until like later. later <laughs> I'm talking about later. She was already on it. So she ain't telling oh, you she didn't give you a book nothing. A friend, yeah. yeah, a friend of mine's dad gave it to her to read, and she was like, I'm not trying to read this, and being me, I was like, I'll read it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, and before we, uh, you know, go ahead and start wrapping things up and stuff like that, would you like to talk about, um, I see you did uh, College Beyond, you co-founded College Beyond in 2013. Would you like to tell people about that? Yeah, I did. So I um, started out my career in private education, as you can imagine. So once I got the opportunity to go to Harvard, I had to figure out how do I make as many people as possible um, familiar with how to get there, prepared. I was doing admissions. I worked at a, a boarding school that is basically sends 20 kids to Harvard every year. And then I went around mm -hmm. the country recruiting in black neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods, you like go to this boarding school, okay, and they're gonna help you. So I spent a lot of my career trying to help folks gain access to what I had access to. Um, and then in 2013, a friend of mine from high school who was living in New Orleans called and was like, you should come down here and work for a charter school and sort of help build out this alumni support program, you know, to support kids as they transition to college. And so that really started me on the pathway to working in public education. And um, I was just blown away with how little support students were receiving on this path to college. And I had been working in the private school world and there were, I mean, there's just so much support and so many resources in private education. And the students we were supporting, you know, were going to local schools and they're smart and just as capable as the other kids I had been working with, but they had access to so much less when it came to resources. And at the same time, I felt like society was blaming these kids for dropping out of college and saying they weren't prepared. And I'm like, no, the colleges aren't prepared. Like, <laughs> like I've never, I just like, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and so I was really moved by my experience working in New Orleans and really motivated to do something about the lack of resources kids had on their journey to college. And so I um, and a bunch of my colleagues from the charter school, so our college counselor, our CEO, we all got together and formed um, College Beyond. And the mission was to help New Orleans public school students uh, successfully transition to college. And um, I was the executive director, you know, so raising money and raising awareness and bringing resources. My main job was how do we bring resources to the kids who need it the most? And how do we get them the support? They have the academic pre preparation, like they can succeed in college, but you need support. Like no one makes it through this journey alone. Um, mm -hmm. So that was the mission of the organization. We raised, you know, over a million dollars for young people. Um, and I'm really proud of the work that we were able to do. And um, now I work in workforce development. So I'm thinking about, you know, once kids finish college, how do we actually make sure you turn that college degree into a good job um, and a strong salary? And also, how do we build multiple pathways? I mean, there are multiple pathways to um, financial stability, and some of them include going to college and some don't. But all students who finish 
high school actually need and deserve uh, economic stability and a good job, and they can access that. So that's what our organization is up to now. That's okay. I see you also did other things in the community as well. I seen in what was it 2019, you did uh, some work in Houston as well. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So that's what I left New Orleans and <laughs> went to Houston briefly. <laughs> um, to work on a pilot of a promise program and promise programs you know it's like full scholarships to college so I couldn't turn that down I was like I would love to give as many kids free college degrees like that made a difference for me um, so we did the pilot in Houston and touched over 8,000 high school seniors um, mm -hmm. wow. and then the pandemic hit <laughs> so so we, we wrapped up the pilot and I came back to New Orleans, uh, which is a city that I love. But yeah, that was a really powerful opportunity. And Houston is a huge, huge city um, and a lot of really strong community colleges as well. So that was who was putting the bill you know, for the program. So I was really impressed with what I saw out there. I like that because the simple fact is this, and being poor, you wasn't being poor, which meaning passing over opportunities repeatedly. You was chasing your dreams. You was like, well, hold on, this is an opportunity for me. But sometimes when we feel like it's an opportunity that, that that's on the horizon for us, sometimes like either we shy away from that because we don't feel like we can go do that because we look at our environment, we look at people around us and everything like that. And then we come right back to the pitfall. And it's like, no, like you could do it. Like you are the one, you are Neo. Like, we gonna get through this matrix. You just gotta decode yourself from it. But yeah. Yeah, why not? Fail and do try it again. Like I probably have failed more times than I have succeeded. People always see the success and celebrate the success. But mm -hmm. the real, I think the real challenge is to be the one who tries and to be open to failing because you're gonna succeed the next time or the next time or the next time. And let that be the goal, to have tried something that you thought was hard and prove it to yourself whether or not you could do it. Mm -hmm. um, and once you achieve something that you thought was impossible, like it really does up your confidence and you're ready to do the next mm -hmm. thing. Like, great, I achieved that. We did our best-selling book. Who knew <laughs> that was possible, right? Um, so now, I, you know, I'm, and I'm so excited about that, but it's like, well, what's next? What else are we going to do, right? So it just becomes mm -hmm. part of like, um, part of the way you approach life. So I think that's true. Y'all mentioned it already. I got it from my mom. <laughs> who was believing, you know, despite having any evidence to support she could send a child to college, send a child to Harvard of all places, was a woman of faith and really believed it was possible. Um, so I was able to rely on her and then just sort of get, yeah, start building this muscle and just keep trying new stuff and don't be scared, right? Hey, you. Don't be scared. Even if you are scared, <laughs> do it anyway. Because that's why I want the people to understand because when you go to your employer, like when it's your first day at a job, you don't know everything. Why do you think they have trained nerves? You feel me? They have to train you upon what machine or whatever you're going to be doing at that task for eight hour shift or a four hour shift or a 12 hour shift. So it's just all of all of a breakdown, but it's a, more geared towards what do you want to do? Are you comfortable with being where you at or do you want more out of life? And we're giving y'all that and then some with Paris Woods on Legacy Kings. Come on with us. And I see this, and this is like pretty remarkable as well. I seen that you actually founded the alumni support program at was it Cohen College uh, yeah. Prep High School. And you guys had the best results in the city. 100% of your students uh, completed the FAFSA, which is like crazy. And 90% enrolled in college. So that's pretty much like unheard of. So would you like to go into you know, a little more detail about that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I found interesting, so I'm not from New Orleans and I had a friend connect me with Cohen, you know, but that high school had a really negative uh, reputation. And so when I would go around town talking about what I was doing, but I was at work in education and folks would say, oh, that's so great. And I help kids go to college and they'd be like, oh, I'd love that. We need more people doing what you do. What do you, where do you work? And I would say, oh, I'm at Cohen. And folks who've been in New Orleans for generations would say, oh, but those kids can't be helped. Like literally that was just the next word that came out of their mouth. 
Um, so I think half of the success was folks showing up to say, actually, yeah, they can. Like these kids have just as much potential as anyone else, regardless of their background and where they come from. And we're gonna show up and give them as much support as we would any other kid at any other school. Um, I mean, in my first year there, we sent a kid to Yale and, you know, I just mm. imagine that Awful. we didn't have the right team in place to invest in him. It's like we had a Yale kid sitting there, but it took the adults around him to believe it was possible and to let him, you know, encourage him to apply and to write the recommendations and all of that. So half of it was just sort of this alignment of intention and action um, on the part of everyone on that team to invest in kids because we knew their potential. And yeah, um, yeah. I actually think that was probably like 90% of it. It's like, <laughs> I believe enough in you that I'm, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna do my job well. Um, and I'm gonna support you to get through this process. And, you know, I would go, and this is how I learned how, um, how inconvenient a lot of the processes were for kids to enroll in college. I just hadn't seen enrollment processes that looked like this. Like I would go with kids to stand in line and hear them get talked down to, you know, by colleges trying to enroll and, um, or get sent these financial aid letters that were so confusing to read. I mean, there were just so many challenges and it just took, you know, having an advocate in place to both tell kids like, this is unacceptable. This isn't how this is supposed to work. And I'm gonna stand and advocate for you and demonstrate to you how to advocate to yourself for yourself. Like, yeah, you can talk, you can say no and you can ask questions and you can talk back to adults um, who are mistreating you. You know, we get raised a certain way and think we can't talk back, but you know, I'm just gonna show up and advocate for you and show you how to advocate for yourself. That's a lot of what we did. That's a lot of what we did. Um, and the kids did the hard work. They were the ones showing up to school every day and taking the test and getting their grades and being the first to go do something that no one in their family had done. So I'm so, so proud of those, those young people. Yeah, that's pretty astonishing because, you know, for them kids to get the opportunity and take advantage of the opportunity, to, uh, you know, because like you said, you know, they brought those kids off. So, you know, say we had, you know, someone like USA Chicago, uh, Detroit, you know, these different cities where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kids who aren't getting those opportunities, you know, they write the kids off as, you know, oh, they're bad or they don't learn. It's just, you know, they haven't been given opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's like they say genius is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Mm, what a bar. Can you say that one more time for the people and for me? That was a bar. <laughs> um, genius is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Hmm. Yeah, that's very true because, you know, like you said, smart kids in every, you know, neighborhood or every, you know, city that's, you know, challenging or challenged, you know, who may not have the financial resources or, you know, the different people in the community to help them, you know, sign up for college and things of that nature. So, that's just a you know proven point that when given the opportunity, a lot of kids will take advantage of it. That's right. And and having somebody encourage you. Um, always, you know, I read Michelle Obama's book and her counselor told her she wasn't sentenced to material. Hmm. <laughs> like how often do you have adults who are supposed to be the ones helping you who are the very ones discouraging you? Um, and so I'm, I don't know how my mother convinced me to believe her and she didn't have a college degree, but to believe her about what was possible. Cause there are plenty of adults who told me I couldn't go to Harvard or that, the, you know, it would be a negative experience. I had people tell me I should go to the military because our family didn't have any money and like, well, that's what you do. You go to the military, um, instead of going to college. So I did have a lot of adult voices who were trying to discourage me or, you know, tell me to take a different path. Um, so you just need, and so I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have my mother there to be the encouraging voice. And I've tried to be that voice for other young people who may not have adults around them, um, who are giving them accurate information or who are even, you know, trying to encourage them to do, do the stuff they want to do to follow their dreams. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that's major right there is fear is fear. Because what happens is a lot of times is this right here. You could just be just a, um, just a pure righteous child, just grown up in the society or anything like that. 
But once you slowly but surely start getting older and you start getting more aware of your surroundings and everything like that, and then once people start pinning little bugs and seeds in your ear of doubt and everything like that, then you start because before, but, but remember though, before when you was a child growing up and everything, you like, oh, I could do, I could fly, like you know what I'm saying. But now it's like, oh, I can't fly, I'm done. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we have to bust through that. Like we gotta go Goku, we gotta go Super Saiyan on them. Like every single time. You tell me no, I'm saying yeah. Like I'm busting out every door possible, and that's how we have to. That's how we have to be. Like I'm always like up tempo, upbeat, and everything like that. Anyway, so I don't try to let allow a lot of like naysay and people that's negative or anything like that. But that's the thing. What do you tell the people that's around negativity all day? So what should they do? Oh, that's so hard. Um, as, as, so first of all, they should probably listen to you because <laughs> I'm like, do what you need to do to get positive voices around you, podcasts and books. And like, even if the people immediately in your like actual surroundings mm-hmm. aren't giving you the positivity that you need, like technology has leveled the playing field in a lot of ways, at least Absolutely. to get access to positive voices and positive information. Um, another tool I like that I encourage people to use is meditation. And mm. I like it because it trains you on how to manage your thoughts. Like negative thoughts and discouragement and doubt never goes away. And but you just get better at learning which thoughts to listen to and which thoughts to allow in um, to take root and which thoughts to just let when it comes, just let it keep passing by. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a meditative practice. So I think meditation is a really good way to practice how to deal with your thoughts um, and sort of build that skill set that you'll need for the rest of your life. Yes, absolutely. And we need more than just a factory skill set. We need more than just going uh, going to the post office. Like we need more than these because like I'm in the trenches, you know what I'm saying? So I know like I know what's going on. I know people struggling out here especially with this pandemic and everything like that people only making 725 people making 15 12 get just now getting by the inflation at eight percent like hot like where do i go to like it's just like chaotic and everything like that and that's why we uh created um legacy kings podcast so we could be able to share the information that we have towards people and i'm real big in crypto so that's why they call me crypto millie and i just love that aspect of it because especially doing like the blockchain and everything like that, like that gives us our 40 acres in a mule. Like you may not understand it now, but that gives us that. Like it's no no longer like redlining people, the underwriters, none of that. Like it's once it's set on a blockchain, it is set for life. You know what I'm saying? It's no coming in, quietating, easy, pumping it, nothing. Like you cannot do anything to break that length. You cannot do anything to break that chain. So we just, yeah, like, like, yeah. And, uh, you know, before, since he brought up crypto, I've seen in the book, you're a big fan of uh, index funds and, you know, making pretty, you know, safe, conservative investments. So what's your opinion of, you know, crypto? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things um, that I teach my students, there's so, there's so many different, investment methodologies and even so many different cryptocurrencies right mm, and so over, folks over really 14, yeah folks are really excited about the new and latest things um but they might still be in debt and they might not have a budget and might not be able to control their cash flow right mm-hmm. so for me i'm like i want to focus on getting the basics down like if you're mm-hmm. in debt and you don't have money to invest then we need to take care of that, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're under earning and you actually need more money to invest, then let's talk about some strategies to increase your income um, and increase your value in the workplace. So that's what we have to focus on and then get the basics down. Like if all you did was invest in an index fund, uh, you could become a millionaire. And no one talks about that because it's not very cool. <laughs> But it's just straight math. Like there's no strategy. There's nothing complicated about it. So if you can get the basics 
together, get your financial foundation together, um, then that frees you up. It gives you both the money and the resources, the time and the mental capacity to learn more complex strategies. So that's what I would encourage folks to do. Like if you're still struggling, let me help you get the basics together and get you into a place where you actually can learn. Like there's strategy around crypto, right? Um, and so if you're struggling, you don't have the mental capacity to learn, then we need to take care of that first. Absolutely. SSJ, like. Uh, I think I think she answered everything for me, everything I could think of. Um, is there anything you would like to say to the people, you know, Paris, before we go ahead and uh, wrap up? Um, definitely reach out to me. I love connecting with folks who have read the book. Um, I'm author Paris Woods on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, so, and, you know, join my email list. I try to put out content um, on a weekly basis. So we'd love to be in touch with folks and particularly Black women who I think are so underrepresented in the personal finance space. We need a community um, of folks. And so I hope folks will join me on the journey. I'm on the journey to financial independence myself and I'm building a community around me that we all can get there together. Absolutely. And you can follow me on Instagram at crypto underscore Millie 21. And I just give a lot of gems and golden nuggets and you just tap in, just follow what we got going on. I created a uh, crypto uh, currency flashcards as well, where you could be able to go to legacykings.net and purchase your crypto uh, flashcard. So you could be able to get the entry basis of the importances of crypto. And I just basically just keep it super simple. I'm not trying to overwhelm you or anything like that. I keep it as super simple as possible. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at the.ssj underscore. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and uh, Orlando, would you like to go ahead and, uh, you know, give a call or anything before we go ahead and wrap up? Uh, I've been in a rose today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, just... What I just want to tell the people and everything like that is look where you was at five years ago. Now look where you at now. That's all I got to say. Look back five years ago. Now look where you at now. And now look at the future and seeing where you're going to go and don't allow no one to derail you from your journey or derail you from your path and just be that powerful king. Just know you are the original man, the original. So, yeah, that's why I got to say to the people before we end up being yeah. out here. Make sure you guys definitely grab this book. Uh, there will be a link in the description for the book. So you guys will be able to go to the description of the video. Uh, it'll take you right to buy the book. Um, please support, you know, Paris and her journey. Um, and we definitely thank you for coming on and giving us your time tonight. Um, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Blessings, Queen. All right, see you guys on the next episode.